You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Death construction in the fields of bodies burning as the war machine keeps turning. And hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week Broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite Listen to the Anarchist World This Week Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse Listen to analysis of local, national, international events Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else Week broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscana and I'm hosting today's program. That's right. I'm not broadcasting from the studios of Community Radio 3CR Melbourne, from which I normally broadcast. The radio station is in lockdown stage four because of the COVID-19 crisis uh, in metropolitan uh, Melbourne. I'm uh, broadcasting outside the studio. So if there are any technical issues, that's life. We apologise beforehand. There may be technical issues. Remember, Community Radio runs on the smell of an oily rag. And just to remind you that if you are listening to a community radio station, to the Anarchist World this week, somewhere across Australia, irrespective of where it is, whether it's a Stage 4 lockdown or a Stage 2 lockdown, remember, Community Radio plays a vital role in communication and spreading ideas, many ideas which will never be heard on the corporate-owned media and the Government Guild at ABC. So support your local community radio station. This is one time where they need your financial support. So if they rely on subscribers or uh, radio funds or community uh, you know, assistance, now's the time to give them a ring and uh, offer your support because if you want community radio to continue during the COVID-19 period, we need to support it. Now, if you wonder what Anarchy is all about, an anarchist society is a voluntary, non-hierarchical society based on the creation of political and social structures which are based on equal decision-making power, which give people access to society's wealth. It's based on these two concepts for a very small, a simple reason. The word anarchos means without rulers, and an anarchist society is a society without rulers. And how do you create a society without rulers? You are... Uh, you are... Uh, prevent rulers from uh, breathing the same oxygen everybody else breathes, and that is by devolving power, that's sharing power and sharing wealth, because inequalities in power and wealth which give rulers the ability to determine the lives of uh, billions of people. Now, I know you're all COVID-19, and especially if you're not living in New South Wales or... Uh, Victoria, which are hardest hit currently, and you live in other parts of Australia where life is gradually uh, coming back to normal, very gradually. But I'd like to look at aged care today in the COVID-19 crisis. I want to look at aged care for a number of very important reasons. Now, aged care is a Commonwealth responsibility. It is not a state responsibility. It is a Commonwealth responsibility. The Commonwealth government subsidises aged care. It is ultimately responsible for what happens 
in aged care facilities. And as we're seeing in Victoria currently, the greatest number of deaths occur in aged care facilities. Currently, there are 120, over 120 aged care facilities that have got COVID-19 cases in Victoria. It's over 120, that's one in four aged care facilities of COVID-19. Some have so many COVID-19 cases that, uh, you know, that have had to be closed down. And, and it's interesting how the attitude that the Victorian government has taken to uh, COVID-19 and aged care facilities and the... Uh, and the attitude that was taken to COVID-19 in New South Wales during the first phase of the COVID-19 crisis. And there were two attitudes. One, you leave people in aged care facilities when they contract COVID-19. You leave them in that facility unless they, there are clinical indications they need hospital admission or you isolate them as soon as there are as soon as they're diagnosed. And as we saw in New South Wales, we had two different nursing homes where there was huge numbers in the first phase. One nursing home, uh, they kept them there and they had 19 deaths. The other nursing home, major nursing home, where they had a major outbreak, they isolated people immediately by sending them to hospital and they were accepted in hospitals and the number of deaths were minimal in comparison. Now, in Victoria, it's been quite a difficult situation for relatives of people in, in aged care facilities, obviously, as well as the residents and the staff, because of the way these aged care facilities have been run up till now, and I'll talk about that after uh, I discuss the isolation issues. And unfortunately, in Victoria, the, the uh, decision that has been made is that unless people, unless there's a clinical need and this is a clinical need, the majority of cases, for somebody to be admitted to hospital, people are left in these facilities. So no wonder that the number of uh, cases increases and the number of deaths are increasing. I mean, the, the basic principle as far as uh, treating um, contagious infections to which there is no cure for is isolation and quarantining. Now, if you don't isolate the people uh, with uh, COVID-19, in a closed facility, obviously, irrespective of how good the staff are, irrespective of how much personal protective equipment you have, the uh, virus tends to spread, especially COVID-19, which is a very, very, uh, which uh, extremely, it looks like it's an extremely contagious virus. So we have this strange situation in Victoria as the COVID-19 number of cases decreases, the number of deaths in nursing homes continue to uh, be significant. We've over 350 deaths now, most in the last two weeks, in uh, Victorian aged care facilities and nursing homes. So why do we find ourselves in this situation? As I said before, the aged care system is under Commonwealth control. It is the responsibility of the Morrison-led Liberal Party. And it's interesting to see that the Royal Commission into Aged Care, which the Morrison government was forced to call before COVID-19, was even a glint in Mr Morrison's eye, has recommended that there be an investigative unit to look at the way that uh, COVID-19 has been managed in different nursing homes across the state across the states. And uh, Mr Morrison has refused point blank to take up the Royal Commission's uh, suggestions or recommendations that an investigator, a national investigative unit be set up to actually look at it the best way to deal with COVID-19. 
in nursing homes. And why has he done that? Because he knows and his government knows and the Cabinet knows that there are huge shortcomings in aged care. We've seen Royal Commission after Royal Commission speak about how about the major shortcomings in aged care. Now, the COVID-19 death rate, the COVID-19 infection rate and the lack of isolation highlights uh, how much we have to learn and how much we have to do in order to protect people and improve services in these situations. Now, the Howard-led government led the way in privatising the nursing home sector. Today, as far as aged care facilities are concerned, between 40 to 60% of every dollar which is earned by a private provider, whether they're religious-based or uh, you know, non-religious-based or corporate-based, comes from the federal treasury. So it comes from you and me. That's 40 to 60% of every dollar which goes into aged care facilities. With the introduction of... Uh, aged care for profit uh, concepts which were introduced into the aged care sector and they were only introduced after the government relaxed the ratio of workers needed to look after the residents, the number of residents, the number of workers needed to look after a specific number of residents and the qualifications were lowered for people living in nursing homes that we find ourselves in the situation. Now, let's say you and I uh, were uh, members of Heritage Care. Uh, which is a privately run fund which has made millionaires out of um, a number of people involved with heritage care who run aged care facilities. Don't let people tell you there's no money in aged care. There is money in aged care. Now, how, you've got three variables if you're running a private home, a private nursing care facility. There are three variables. One, it's staff and wages because aged care is a labour-intensive industry. Two, it's the type of food you provide. And three, the amenities, including the, the, the buildings, the structures uh, and the type of services that are provided to residents. And the way you make money is you increase the ratio of residents to the number of staff, so less staff. You decrease their qualifications needed to uh, look after people. They were, therefore, they're paid less. You uh, squib on food, and it's not unusual for uh, aged care facilities to spend $2.50 to $3 a day on feeding residents in nursing homes. And then, obviously, you squib on, on amenities. I mean, that's how you uh, derive a profit. And it's quite interesting to hear the nursing home uh, owners um, complain there's not enough government funding. Now, I'd just like to look at the aged care sector a little bit closely so you can actually see what's happening. Now, 60% of nursing homes and aged care facilities in this country run at a loss. And they are mainly not-for-profit, small uh, nursing homes in rural and regional areas and areas which provide care uh, in areas where people don't actually have much money to uh, put into the nursing home on top of the government subsidy. So 60% run a cot at, at a loss. Now, the peak bodies, and that's a fancy, fancy word to say, the organisations which represent aged care facilities and nursing homes are dominated by corporate and religious-based organisations which have 
a huge number of beds under their control. And the key is the more beds you have, not quality care, the more beds you have, the greater your profitability at the end of the day. I'll give you an example. If you think there's no money in nursing homes, Blue Care, which is a United Church uh, uh, branch, it's part of United Church, its revenue was $1.5 billion in the last financial year, and $600 million of that came from federal funding, which is your taxes and my taxes. It's about 39 to 40% of their uh, revenue came through uh, federal funding. Now, they have a large number of beds under their control, and uh, uh, groups like Heritage Care, which is a... Uh, corporate-owned, you know, capitalist, corporate-owned uh, uh, organisation. They have a large number of beds under their control. Now, these groups are still making profits. You don't make multi-millionaires if you're not making a profit. They are making a profit. So when they approach the government, they give them aggregate, aggregate figure. Instead of uh, having a differential rebate in terms of government support for small nursing homes which provide care in regional and rural areas and some of the outer suburbs of the major cities and a, a different rebate, maybe a lower rebate for the larger corporations and religious-based organisations that have thousands of beds under their control that, that are making a profit. These peak bodies are saying we all need an increase. Not that there is a, a difference because the smaller nursing home sector is not represented adequately on the peak bodies which negotiate with the Commonwealth Government. So to a significant degree, the situation we find ourselves in as far as the COVID-19 crisis is concerned in the aged care sector is directly related to the changes which were made by the Howard Government to the aged care sector where aged care was privatised and made a for-profit business venture for investors and speculators. At the end of the day, we only have ourselves to blame. Now, Morrison, Mr Morrison, our Prime Minister, or your Prime Minister, not my Prime Minister, your Prime Minister, knows this. Cabinet knows this. They know the model is broken. That's why, although the Royal Commission into Aged Care an interim recommendation last week that a national investigative body be set up to deal with the COVID-19 crisis on a national basis because the Commonwealth Government, not the state government, is responsible for aged care facilities across the country. Mr Morrison has refused to uh, heed the Royal Commission's investigation. This will lead to more COVID-19 cases in the nursing home sector and more deaths. At the end of the day, the finger needs to be pointed at the Morrison government. You're listening to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. If you want to learn more about anarchism, if you want to learn more about the activities that the Anarchist World This Week is involved in, if you want to learn more about how we're thinking, there's a few things you can do. You can go to Public Interest Before Corporate Interests uh, YouTube and uh, watch my YouTube presentations. You can go to pipci, P-I-B-C-I dot net and join Public Interest Before Corporate Interests. Hopefully we'll be registered as a federal political party in the next uh, six to 12 months. You can go there, have a look at our policies. Um, uh, you can go to a number of Facebook pages, uh, Joseph Toscano, Toscano for the Public. Uh, you can go to the Anarchist Media Institute, anarchismedia.org, anarchismedia.org.
and the list goes on and on. But the important thing at the end of the day is, look, it doesn't matter how much I talk, it doesn't matter what I talk about, it doesn't matter how long you listen for, unless you become actively involved in the struggle for change, for egalitarian change, nothing will change. I'll give you an example. Now, I don't, I don't know if you know that we're in the middle of an investment strike in this country. I mean, there's two types of strike. We always hear about labour, removing the other people removing their labour. Not that you can do it anymore in this country because striking is illegal outside an enterprise bargaining agreement period. It is illegal and you can be fined up to $10,000 a day every individual worker withdrawing their labour in a wildcat strike. So if you think that we live in a free country where you can voluntarily withdraw your labour and negotiate collectively to improve your situation, think again, ask any member of this construction, forestry, mining, Maritime and Energy Union, they'll tell you what it's really like when you've got less rights than a drug importer, when you have to answer questions. If you don't answer questions, you get fined or uh, jailed, and the list goes on and on about what goes on on building sites uh, around this country. But let's not focus on that. Let's get back to what we are talking about. Since, 19, since the 1970s, when we had the last investment strike, an investment strike is when... People refuse to invest money in industries and businesses in the country. They withdraw their money and they invest it overseas. For the first time since the 1970s, there is less money being invested in Australia than Australian money going out and investing overseas. And why are we in the midst of an investment strike? Why is the business and corporate sector using the COVID-19 crisis to line their pockets? And it's very simple. They have three major issues on the agenda under the cloud of creating jobs. See, they're good people. Let's not forget they're good people. They're not interested in making profit. They're just interested in creating jobs for all those Australians who are going to lose their jobs, who have lost their jobs because of COVID-19. But what do they want in return? What do they want? Well, they've almost destroyed the trade union movement, so they're not that interested anymore. And apart from the construction, forestry, forestry and maritime and energy unit, the mining maritime and energy union of uh, CFMMU, of doing anything in that direction because the government has... Commonwealth Government has no uh, appetite for that currently because they need everybody on board to deal with the COVID-19 crisis. The first thing they're demanding is tax reform. What tax reform is means that they want to pay less tax. They want the company tax rate to drop to about 10% ultimately. That's right. That's what they want. They want the company tax rate to drop so they can actually make increasing profits. The second thing they want is an investment um, dividend. What that means is if they invest in something, they want 20% of any money they've invested to be claimed as a tax deduction. And because they're, resp and because they're responsible economic managers, look, I am smirking to myself as I say that, they want to increase the GST so they know that government revenue will fall to such an extent that there would be uh, issues in, around the country. So they want everybody 
you know, people on disability support pensions, people on old age pensions, people on single parents benefits, people on parents allowances to actually pay more GST in order to fill the government coffers while at the same time increasing their profitability. Now, investment strikes can have a major impact on this country. They can have a major, and they will have an impact on this country because in this country, there are only two sectors which create jobs. One is the private sector and the other is the public sector. And as we've seen, as more and more public jobs go, more and more people are forced to work in the private sector. We never think about the third sector of the economy, the mixed economy, and that's collectives and cooperatives. So instead of the federal government buckling at the knees because of the investment strike, which has begun in the last few months by companies in this country who are investing their dividends overseas, why doesn't the Commonwealth government introduce legislation to force companies, and there are many large transnational corporations which are based in Australia, to invest a percentage of their profits back into the country. Now, don't tell me that we don't have the power to do that, and I'll talk about the power that the state has in this country in a few minutes when I look at the role of the Australian Constitution in the current COVID-19 crisis. I mean, Parliament has extraordinary powers constitutionally. It doesn't take much to pass legislation to say that any company that makes a profit, whether it's based here or overseas, needs to reinvest a certain percentage of its profits back in the country. That would stop these companies um, in their tracks as far as investment strike is concerned. We have taken, this country has taken huge leaps in terms of banning strikes, criminalising a legitimate a workplace activity to improve people's wages and conditions. It's taken huge steps in that direction in the last 40 years. We've now reached a situation, as I said before, it is illegal to strike in this country outside an enterprise bargaining agreement period. And even then, you've got to jump through so many hoops. The chances of being able to legally remove your labour so you can collectively improve your situation is nil. So why shouldn't we have legislation in place to prevent companies that are making profits in this country from sending those profits offshore and investing in other areas which they think are more profitable for them? They've made the profit in the country. They're making extraordinary profits, especially the mining and the resources sector. Why should they invest their money overseas? It should be, they should be forced to invest their money here and they should also be forced to invest some money into creating seeding funding for cooperatives and collectives. By expanding the cooperative and collective centre, you can actually create employment, valuable employment which provides goods and services to people in this country. So let's use the legislative power that Parliament has to ensure that profits that are made in this country or a percentage of profits that are made in this country are reinvested in this country. If it's good enough for the goose, it's good enough for the gander or the other way around because if, you know, we've hog-tied the uh, 
trade union movement in legislation, a legislative avalanche. We buried them under a legislative avalanche. It's time that the same process was used to ensure those who make profits from trading in this country, from manufacturing in this country, that they reinvest those profits or a significant portion of those profits back in the country. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. You can email me at info at pipsypibci.net, info at pipsypibci.net or at anarchistage at yahoo.com, anarchistage at yahoo.com. YouTube, public interest before corporate interest. Uh, Instagram, hopefully in the next uh, few days, we'll have material up on Instagram. Uh, that will be Pipsy, P-I-B-C-I, A-U-S, P-I-B-C-I, A-U-S. It is to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Satellite. This program comes from the studios studios of 3ECR in Melbourne. As at the beginning of the program, I'm broadcasting outside the studios of 3CR. There are many technical issues. My apologies. Now, don't forget to support your local community radio station. It's extraordinarily important that we support our local community radio network across the country uh, because I've seen more and more streamlining of ideas and news uh, in the corporate-owned media and the government guild at ABC. It's time to uh, get a different perspective on what's happening in the world today. And uh, as I said before, I encourage you to join public interest before corporate interest, especially if you're on the Australian electoral roll. Down download the application form from pipsy.net, P-I-B-C-I.net. Don't have a printer, don't have a computer, well, you can always leave a message on 0439 395 489, 0439 395 489, and uh, I'll send you out some application forms, or you can always post uh, or write to me at Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052. You're listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. All right? You reckon you live in a free society, don't you? Mate, you like that? Mate, you reckon that we um, are protected, that we have freedom of speech, freedom of movement, freedom of association, that we're different to all those horrible countries we keep talking about, like China and Russia, where we're, we're totally different, that we have a constitution that protects the individual from the arbitrary exercise of state power. Well, I know you're bored with history, but I want to give you a little bit of a history lesson about the Australian Constitution and then actually look at the ramifications of the Australian Constitution and look at its role during the COVID-19 crisis. In the 1890s, in the late 1880s and 1890s, there was a move around Australia, around the Australian colonies, because Australia consisted of six colonies, New South Wales, Tasmania, Victoria, Queensland, South Australia and West Australia. And there were two prevailing forces uh, the country uh, discussed uh, uh, gaining independence from England. 
from the United Kingdom. And one was that we create six independent nation states. And the other prevailing thought was that we have a, a federation of the states into one sovereign state. And there were discussions and constitutional conventions around the country and there were referendums in all the states regarding forming a federation. And it's interesting, the only colony which uh, failed to pass the uh, bill uh, to accept the new constitution was New South Wales. They had actually had to have two referendums before 54% of people of New South Wales voted to federate. And the people of New South Wales were basically concerned about carrying the can for the rest of the country. And this one, let's not forget that when the whole point of the constitution was to create a federation of colonies, six colonies into a sovereign nation state called Australia. So there are elements within the constitutional framework which protected the little states from uh, being bullied by the larger states, as we saw with the... Uh, although the House of Representatives was based on uh, equal electorates and equal number of people in those electorates, as far as the Senate was concerned, which the House had reviewed, it meant that every state had the same number of senators, and that's 12 senators for each state, which makes up 72 senators. And obviously, once the country federated in 1901, uh, we were stuck with the Constitution. Now, what was decided during the Constitutional Convention in order to facilitate the possibility of federation was not to include protections for the individual against the arbitrary exercise of state power. And if you look at the Australian Constitution, it's essentially a, a trade document which regulates trade and movement between the six states. Apart from freedom of religious belief and compensation or if your uh, property is seized by the Commonwealth for its, uh, its purposes, there is nothing else in the Australian Constitution which protects you. And what the COVID-19 crisis has highlighted is how few protections there are in the Australian Constitution. We know there is no freedom of speech in the Australian Constitution. The High Court over 20 years ago had to find an implied right to freedom of speech in the constitutional arrangement. We know there is no right to strike in the Australian Constitution because of all the legislation which has been passed, which has made removing your labour a criminal offence in this country. We know there is no protection for racial minorities in this country because the Australian Constitution gives uh, the Commonwealth the power to make legislations directed at specific racial groups. We know that there are no constitutional protections as far as freedom of movement is concerned because the states can close their borders at any time they like for any reason that they like. Although Mr Clive Palmer, who has the money to make his constitutional wet dreams into a reality, has launched a high court uh, challenge to the state's ability to close their borders based 
the fact that the Australian Constitution allowed freedom of movement of goods across state borders. We know there is no protection as far as freedom of association is concerned in this country because the Attorney-General now has the power to ban any organisation he thinks may pose a threat to Australia, not just a security threat, but possibly an economic threat. It's so wide. We know there is no freedom of movement. Anybody who's trying to cross the borders currently knows there's no freedom of movement. And what's even more extraordinary, which I think most Australians aren't aware of at the minute, is you cannot even leave the country without permission from a bureaucrat. Out of the 75,000 people who have applied to leave the country for various reasons, only about 25% have been given permission to leave the country. The other 75% names have been sent to Interpol and have been put across every border area. These is to prevent people from actually leaving the country. So if you think you have freedom of movement under the Australian Constitution, it doesn't exist. There is no freedom of speech, no freedom of movement, no freedom of association, no arbitrary protection for the individual from the arbitrary exercise of state power. And the list goes on and on. So what is the role of the Australian Constitution during the COVID-19 crisis? And the answer is nil, zilch, rien, nothing. It has no role whatsoever. All it does is highlight how much power uh, elected officials have in this country. And if they have so much power to limit your freedom of speech, your freedom of movement, your freedom of association, and they can't even protect you from the, the bureaucracy, then why can't they use that legislative power to look after the needs of everybody in this country? Not just as far as the COVID-19 crisis is concerned, but as far as our economic future is concerned. Why can't they use that power to prevent investors from um, uh, investing their profits overseas? Why can't they use their powers to reform the aged care system? Why can't they use those powers to introduce a universal basic income to protect us from future shocks, economic shocks, uh, pandemics, and the list goes on and on. And so these are things we need to ask ourselves on a constant basis. And if you think such a thing as a sovereign citizen exists, it may exist in people's head, but in reality, the state is based on the idea that they have a monopoly on the use of force. And if well, there's one thing that COVID-19 has demonstrated is how state security apparatuses can be mobilised to ensure that people uh, obey instructions. It uh, highlights how little power individuals actually have in this country. And as far as uh, most other so-called Western democracies are concerned, the type of powers that are able, able to be used by the state in this country that we've seen used over and over again since 9-11 highlights uh, how little how important constitutional arrangements are in this country. Now, to make matters worse, the High Court 
the second judges of the High Court determine uh, what is what is constitutional, what is it is their role to adjudicate on issues uh, regarding uh, the Constitution. I'll give you an example. There was a recent uh, case which we wouldn't have heard of, which was fascinating because everybody thinks the High Court, you know, they're wonderful people. The Manufacturing Union of Australia and the uh, Cadbury Schweppes, which is a, uh, a subsidiary of a transnational um, confectionery company, uh, went to the High Court because a lower court had actually determined that shift workers who were working 12-hour shifts were uh, uh, were entitled to a few more days sick leave than somebody who worked from 9am to 5pm. Makes sense, because obviously a 12-hour shift work, you tend to have many more health issues. I mean, we've seen study after study that shows that shift work is unhealthy. It has major impacts on individuals' health. It has impacts on their families. It has impacts on partners. It has impacts on children. And anybody anybody listening to this program is work shift work, and I've worked shift work for most of my life. Now how um, difficult it can be. And a, a lower court decided that the shift workers could have a few extra more days uh, leave than uh, uh, than people who work from nine to five. Now this decision would have flowed across to all sectors of the community. So the Morrison-led Liberal government, in conjunction with this transnational corporation and a number of other business groups, went to the High Court to see whether the lower court decision was constitutional. The High Court, in their wisdom, decided that it was constitu was it was not constitutional, which meant the shift workers in this country, people working 12-hour shifts now, have less sick pay than somebody who's working from nine to five. So that was their interpretation of the constitutional arrangement. So high court judges, and there are seven of them which are appointed, have extraordinary ability to shape society long after they've been appointed to a high court. Now, over the last uh, decade or so, Various conservative governments have been appointing younger and younger High Court judges. Now, High Court judges are not appointed by the legal fraternity because of their knowledge of the law. High Court judges are appointed by the Attorney General. High Court judges are appointed for life. Uh, the only uh, uh, limitation is if they're charged with a criminal activity in the High Court or they have to retire at the age of 70, which is a relatively new innovation. So a High Court judge who is appointed at the age of 40 can actually make pronouncements on the High Court for the next 30 years, can have an impact for generations. Now, I know you, you may not realise this, but there are two positions in the High Court which are coming up for retirement. There will be two empty positions the next few months. And the Attorney General, which is a Conservative Attorney General, will appoint with the Prime Minister two Conservative judges to the High Court to ensure that their Conservative viewpoints continue to become a dominant feature of this country. Why should High Court judges be appointed for life? I mean, the reason, guys, is they're appointed for life, they can't be removed by the government of the day if the government of the day doesn't like 
uh, their judgments on why, why can't they be appointed for a period of 10 years? 10 years is long enough. A decade is long enough. So these are things that we need to think about because irrespective of what we think of the Australian Constitution as far as individual rights is concerned, it does have a huge amount of power. It decided a number of years ago that the that the, um, that the uh, Commonwealth can legally detain people indefinitely with no charge. It's, uh, it's, uh, it has, it, you know, and the thing is about the High Court is you think, oh, I can take a case to the High Court. Well, it takes billions of dollars to take a case to the High Court. And what normally happens in a High Court case is the government of the day takes sides and actually joins with the litigant uh, or uh, actually intervenes in cases. So it takes millions of dollars to launch a High Court challenge millions of dollars. No individual is in a position to launch a High Court challenge in this country. You listen to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au, 3cr.org.au. Now, I love scams, and I'm going to talk about two scams and uh, then maybe we'll briefly, you know, look about the uh, increasing trade tensions between Australia and China. Look, I'll, I'll look at that first because uh, the scams are so good, I reckon that uh, we need to spend some time on them. Now, I'm not talking about the usual Nigerian scam or somebody who rings you up and says, you owe the tax office 6000 bucks. we're going to come and take you away in leg irons and beat you till you pay up. No, I'm not talking about those type of scams. I'm talking about really great Scams, which uh, highlight the uh, the lunacy of uh, corporate capitalism and the fact that uh, so much money is made out of these scams, it makes robbing banks look like uh, yesterday's uh, thing. Now, but let's get back to China. Now, I understand there's a little bit of, uh, and we all know, a little bit of friction as we, uh, you know, we go all the way with USA. And I just like to warn my fellow citizens. You like that, my fellow citizens. I'd like to warn you. Now, Australia's uh, resources boom has been a bonanza for uh, a few billionaires and um, it has allowed a little bit of money to come to the country because China imports, 70% of their iron ore imports come from Australia. So irrespective of uh, trade friction, we want to continue on its little uh, industri- post-industrialisation uh, changes it needs Australia's iron ore. Or so you and I and Twiggy thought. Well, the Chinese government is diversifying very quickly as far as its iron ore supplies is concerned because it knows that it's got an issue. It's just... It's one of its uh, state-owned companies is one of the two mining giants which has been given permission to mine iron ore in Guinea. And the difference between iron ore in Guinea and iron ore in Australia is iron ore in Australia is very low quality. Iron ore in Guinea is very high quality. So over the next five years, possibly ten, those iron ore supplies, which seem to be limitless, will come on online. 
The second thing that we've seen over the last few um, years was that massive tailings dam collapse in Brazil, which is the next big iron ore exporter. Now, the Chinese government has made arrangements with, with Brazil to restart iron ore exports. Now, it would have restarted in a big way if it hadn't been for the COVID-19 crisis, which we've seen unfold in Brazil. But it's also changed its port facilities in an attempt to get huge super iron ore tankers to be trading between China and Brazil. So the Chinese government is taking measures in order to decrease its reliance on Australian resource imports. And for the Australian government to start a trade war with China on behalf of the Trump administration is sheer lunacy. During the June quarter, 46% of Australia's exports went to China. It's a little bit like cutting one of your legs off and saying it's not going to make any changes to your life. Obviously, it has major changes as far as your life is concerned. So watch out, Australia. Scam number one. Did you know that Australian workers received a 5% wage rise during the June quarter? That's the average wage increased by 5% in Australia during the June quarter, during the height of the COVID-19 crisis. Now, I can see you scratching your head and you're saying, I haven't seen a 5% increase in my, uh, you know, my payments that I receive from my employer. Well, this is how we came to that aggregate. It's very simple. During the COVID-19 crisis, the areas that have been hardest hit have been uh, restaurants, accommodation, tourism, retail. These are all low-wage businesses. The businesses that have uh, continued to trudge on have been construction, which is now decreasing, finance, which has had, hasn't taken a hit, health. Now, these uh, jobs, you receive more money in these jobs. Your wage packet is higher. So as more and more people go into job seeker from low-income jobs, the average wage increases by 5%. Da-da! I'm sure you'll love that. Scam number two, and this is, this is a beauty. It's a beauty. I like this one. This is another Australian scam. Now, Premier Investments is the vehicle by which Solomon Liu, which is one of the major retailers in this country, um, uh, processes their um, money, okay? Now, Solomon Liu has been in the business a long time, and he's a, you know, he's a hard character. I've got nothing against hard characters. And he has a number of retail outlets which are basically based in these mega metropolises, you know, these huge shopping complexes which Australia is very good at uh, building. Now, Mr Liu has uh, refused to pay rent to these mega metropolises. Now, these mega metropolises can't evict Mr Liu's shops. He just refused point-blank to pay rent. At the same time, Premier Investments has 12,000 employees in the retail sector. They will be receiving um, JobKeeper. 
Now, Premier Investments has made an 11% increase in profits. It has posted 11% increase in its profits. It hasn't been trading because most of its retail outlets were closed down. It's not paying rent, but it's making its profit from the JobKeeper payment. Boom, boom. Now, Solomon get away with it. They're big players, but small businesses in this country can't play the same game. If you're a small business and your landlord has refused to negotiate or has negotiated a deal which uh, assists him or her, not only do you have to repay the rent that you that they forego in the next two years once the COVID-19 crisis comes to an end, and to an end it will come, not only do you have to do that, but small businesses across the country are being harassed by real estate agents to pay up or face eviction or face bankruptcy. Now, they are in no position to play the same game that Mr Liu and Premier Investments have been paying because the real estate agents have been pushing and pushing and pushing on behalf of owners to actually pay up or move out. Now, as I said before, it's time that we actually looked at the bankruptcy rules in this country. It's time that we looked at the ability of small business to break leases with no penalties because of the COVID-19 crisis, because most small businesses that have been forced to close down haven't closed down because of financial irregularity or problems. They've closed down because they've been forced to close down for health reasons by government. Scam number three. This is the best. This is, this is the best thing I have heard of in a long, long, long time. It's a little bit complex, so I need to go through it slowly, but uh, it gets my tick of approval as the, the scam of the, the decade, if not the century. Now, Vega Capital, that's right, V-E-G-A, not vegan, but Vega Capital is a London-based investment group, okay? It was formed in 2016. 2016. It consists of about 12 to 14 traders. Now, these are people who trade on in futures and they specialise in the oil industry. Boom, boom. I can hear your ears, you know, come up. Now, a few months ago, I think it was six weeks or eight weeks ago, the price of oil dropped precipitously 40 US dollars within a, a spate of a few, half an hour, less than half an hour, 15 minutes, to minus $37. And there was pandemonium around the country. Conservationists around the country were thinking, oh, we've reached peak oil. I mean, uh, renewables now are cheaper than uh, gas and oil, and uh, we're seeing market forces at play. Boom, boom. Well, when you deal in oil futures, which is a a stock market term, which I won't go into, um, it's a very complex procedure. It's a very complex. Now, whether it was through an accident, whether it was brilliant trading, and what actually happened is two and a half minutes before the close of trading on oil futures, these 14 traders who worked for vegan 
uh, Vega, not vegan, Vega Capital, traded furiously, and they'd done this before with minimal success, over a two-and-a-half-minute period, two-and-a-half-minute before the closure of business, and forced the price of oil to artificially drop to minus $37. Now, what they did is not illegal, totally within the rules of the speculative stock market. And how much do you think they made profit? Seven. Hundred million dollars profit, boom boom. And who lost out? Hundreds of thousands of small investors, because the price of oil has now gone back up. So when they talk to you about the stock market reflecting the real world, the stock market does not reflect the real world. The futures market does not reflect the real world. We've seen the stock market rise and rise and rise back to almost pre-COVID-19 levels, not because of what's happening in the world, because of speculative forces which manipulate the market in order to suit them. And this uh, little coup by Vega Capital highlights how much money can be made in a few minutes if you're smart enough to pick the chinks in the armour of the speculative market. It has nothing to do with reality. Now, thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network, courtesy of the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. My name's Joseph Toscano. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast at any time you like at 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. Put your friends onto the Anarchist World This Week podcast. You can write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can email me at info at pipci.net. You can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com anarchistage at yahoo.com You can leave messages on 0439 395 489 0439 395 489 You can go to the YouTube channel Public Interest Before Corporate Interest Public Interest Before Corporate Interest You can go to the PIPSI website public in, uh, PIPSI PIBCI.net Download the application form become part of public interest before corporate interest, put the interest of the many before the interest of the few. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio 3CR. Listen in to the Anarchist World next week on your local community radio station. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction an analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger!
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.